0: Hey, this is former WWE superstar and ECW original, The Blue Meanie. And you're listening to me on BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of turn chuckle on BBGWrestling.com. I am Pablo and I'm coming to you from what I have lovingly dubbed the Freakout Chateau, um, which means it's just a place to put yet more wrestling posters up that um, you know I can't fit in any other room, and it's also the place where the cats like to chill out as well. So they may make a um, they may make a cameo during this. Um, with me today it is my esteemed honor now if you'd have told me when I was a when I was a kid that I would get to chat to someone who I associate with the period of WWF that I watched probably just as much as anyone else who was there at the time um you know I would have called you a fool and I would have called you a liar I have with me the one and the only the mouthpiece the manager the spiritual guide of men on a mission Oscar. Hello.
1: How you doing, man? Thank you for that introduction.
0: Spiritual guide, too much, or oh, you, you
1: guided them? You guided them to the time no, type. No, no, no. Spiritual guide because I mean, uh, especially today, in my spirituality is everything to me. So that's perfect.
0: That's wonderful, and I, I do know because you have uh, you don't do many of these interviews, so I'm very uh, I am honored that you are taking part in this. But I do know that you talk about. Um, that you saw your role in Men on the Mission as kind of a positivity provider for the fans. And you did bring out a lot of positive vibes within the audience. And we're going to get into all of that as well. But um, the first time Vince saw so you perform in front of an audience um, after you had been hired. Was he expecting the the call and response with the, with the, there it is, and, uh, you know, the hand waving and stuff. Was he expecting it to become that over that quickly?
1: No, not even close. I mean, um, I had had experience in performing because There were groups uh, early on in the rap uh, era um, that I I started out, my rap career uh, started out in front of one of the clubs in New York called Broadway International. And then I became a rapper because my favorites were the groups that knew how to rock the crowd. Like Grandmaster Flash and the Five and Dougie Fresh, the Treacherous Three, and then later on Run DMC and Houdini and all that, and I saw how they rocked the crowd. So um, that's who you know. That's who I learned to do it by, and couple that with my already <laughs> huge presence and Big Mouth, you know, it got to be pretty commonplace even before that. But no, when Vince met me. He just got a taste of my rapping skills, my spontaneity, my freestyle, and that's what he went by when he took the shine to me. But no, he was not expecting it to be what it was, me being able to get somewhat of a rise out of an audience.
0: So yeah, um, with your you know, obvious talent is in rapping everything and your background that not a lot of people may have been aware about, um, you know, we we know the story that you uh at uh, in Las Vegas at WrestleMania, you went up to Vince and you kind of took the opportunity to, or you went up to Randy Savage and took the opportunity, and then Savage brought you to Vince. Um But Vince doesn't strike me as someone who has a a, a knowledge of uh, rap music. You know, he strikes me as quite kind of a bit of a square white man. You know, I've seen him dance.
1: <laughs> Did he? Yeah. You well, no, too? he he didn't have he didn't have a knowledge of rap music at all, but um, the story goes, it wasn't at WrestleMania. It was two weeks prior to WrestleMania. I was in Las Vegas for some R and R and I was shooting craps at Caesar's Palace. And there was a big commotion in the lobby. And then when I looked around, I saw a big colorful character and that colorful character was Macho man, Randy Savage. Now, The way I would get jobs in my career, and I had got some really, really big ones, working with some really big people, is if I saw you somewhere and I thought you looked interesting, I went up to you just as a goof and did a rap about you. That's what I would do. And I I had to give Macho Man Randy Savage. I had to get him. So I went up to Macho Man, and I wouldn't just talk to somebody like a crazy. You know, if I could do a a little singing telegram for you. And he's like, yeah, go ahead, brother. But what I didn't realize was the part of the entourage that was with him was Mr. Perfect and Bruce Pritchett was there. And um and, and Vince, I didn't realize Vince was with him until I actually got up to him. So when I did the rap about Macho Man, I included Mr. Perfect in the rap and I included Vince in the rap. And that's what Vince was like. There's no way this guy knew we were here. He did not rehearse this. This is off the cuff. And this guy would be tremendous to be in the WWF. And um, that and he told me to call him. <laughs> he said, call him at the WWF headquarters on Monday because he didn't have a card. So that Monday rolled around, I had made it back home, and I was going on my list of um, things to do for the day, and it was like, all right, let's see. We're going to do laundry, go to the grocery store, and oh, yeah, that's right, mm-hmm. call Vince McMahon. Yeah, sure, right, because you know how people say call me and they don't mean it. You know, people would be like, call me, Get some, you know. So I was in the in the entertainment game long enough to take it with a grain of salt when somebody said, call him. But there was a part of me that, that did suggest Vince McMahon might have been a little serious talking about calling him. So I called up there, and sure enough, he was expecting my call. Vince and I chatted on the phone for maybe 30 minutes, and he was telling me, that you know his um idea off the top of his head was to bring me in as a manager because obviously how they met me you know, I had no wrestling background, no wrestling skills, I didn't go to school for it and all that. so I mean if you can't those who can't wrestle manage I mean that's the that's the even though a lot of managers turned out to be great wrestlers, so. That ain't necessarily true, but you didn't have to have wrestling skills to manage, you know, an individual or a team. That's the whole point. So um, he said, told me, you know, to um, you know, let him get WrestleMania behind him, let him get WrestleMania. And then he would look more into what I could become. So while he was on the phone and I wasn't scared to ask anything, I was like, hey, Vince, how about a couple of tickets to WrestleMania? He was Uh, like, yeah, sure, of course you can. So I went back to Vegas for WrestleMania 9, and oh, wow, what a show it was. It was a real good show. And I had some of the best seats. I sat next to Luther Vandross and Natalie Cole, and I was on a red carpet. The beers and the sodas and the
0: hot dogs. WrestleMania 9, one of my favorite events of all time. Um, And... I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched that event. And uh, we did a about a year ago or two. Because that's the thing. I knew that you were at WrestleMania 9. And I didn't know that the story happened like two weeks before that. Um, but we did mm-hmm. a, a watch along of WrestleMania 9. But for to do that, we had to turn the volume down. And because you're not listening to the commentary, you're watching it more intensely. And I see you all over the camera at WrestleMania 9. <laughs> like the... Um, yeah. The Shawn Michaels to tanker match, there is a shot of you walking across the front row. I think you're holding some popcorn and taking it back to your seat. (laughs) And uh, you're right behind Hogan and Brett when Hogan or Brett's telling Hogan to go to the ring. And you're like, yeah, get in the ring. (laughs) You're like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's so good. If if there's one event, if I could have a time machine and go back and watch one event live in person, it would be WrestleMania 9. I mean, you, I mean, that isn't your first live event that you went to as well, because I mean, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you grew up in the Northeast and WWF and WWWF was your territory, I guess, that you watched. Um, So you did go to Madison Square Garden shows and um, other sort of smaller, uh, like B shows and C shows, I'm guessing at that time.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, when I was younger, when I was a kid, uh, okay, this is how it happened. Um, If anything was, I mean, there were only like five channels on the TV when I was a boy. Um, And my stepdad watched TV a lot. And when something was interesting was on TV that he thought that his two boys would like to see, he would call us in to watch it. I was talking about, you know, like Avid and Costello and King Kong and Godzilla movies or something like that. And one night late, he called us in at midnight because wrestling came on WWOR w- 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 TV, Channel 9, New York. I'll never forget that. So he called us in and was, he was watching this thing on TV, God's fighting. So he sat us down and it was wrestling. And it was Vince McMahon and Antonina Rocker at Commentary. And you had um, Gorilla Monsoon. Um, uh, Gorilla Monsoon was a wrestler at that particular time. The Grand Wizard of Wrestling was a manager. Bruno San Martino was the champ and so forth and so on. And that era was what got me to loving wrestling. That's how I knew how, who Macho Man Randall Savage was. Because at that particular time, since I was a kid, I became a fan. Yeah. And when wrestling was coming to Madison Square Gardens or Sunnyside Gardens, which was around in New York at the time, of course, we pestered about, we got to see this live. You got to take us. And we would go to Madison Square Garden to see wrestling then. So that's when I first started going to live shows.
0: Wow, Vince and Rocker, there's a forgotten commentary team. <laughs> I mean, Rocker was, uh, he was old by that point, but I know Vince liked to show his uh, appreciation for those people who, you know, helped make his dad's company. Um, so what were your favorite memories of going to the garden as a kid?
1: First of all, it was just more exciting because you, really you really got the crowd, uh, you really got, the you know, being in the crowd and being a part of it. Uh, some of the memorable matches would be... Um, anything Bob Backlund ever did was always exciting because he was always the underdog that came out right on top. But mm-hmm. one of my favorite things was it was a match with Ivan Putsky and Andre, the giant. And, um, I think it was the iron cheek and, uh, and, and I, I don't know who the other here was anyway. Um, They had really hurt Ivan Pusky bad. And Andre the Giant went to the back to get another partner. And he came back with my favorite, favorite wrestler of all time, even today. And that was Dusty Rhodes. And to see him in person and didn't even know he was in the building was, oh, my God. That was like my, I will never forget that. Wow. I was like, "Oh my God, the American Dream!" He then came back out with Dusty Rhodes. That's amazing.
0: See, that's outside of the Billy Graham uh, matches that Dusty had. I didn't realize he made many more garden appearances. So that must have been a rare occurrence for Dusty to be. It was
1: rare. It was rare. It was really rare because we didn't even know he was there. <laughs>
0: Wouldn't you think though that if you had Dusty there, you would advertise it? But I guess it would have been a sellout anyway, just because Andre was there and Koloff and Backlund and whoever else. So Dusty just randomly showing up must have been.
1: Insane. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I didn't even know. I didn't. I didn't even know he was. I didn't even know he was there. But that was a treat because, uh, to further my wrestling fanboydom. I would watch it when, every year. We would go down south to, the Georgia, um, to Georgia to see my relatives. And wrestling came on once a week in New York, okay? Wrestling came on all day long <laughs> in Georgia. They had about four, maybe five different programs. It was um, Georgia wrestling, Florida wrestling, the Mid-Atlantic wrestling, just, uh, 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 just, 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 some of everything, and those guys back then were just as good as the New York territory guys was, and there was a lot more of them to see, and they were just as talented. So, in terms, and of- that's when I first, that's when I first saw Dusty Rhodes and became a fan, and Ric Flair and became a fan.
0: <laughs> so that's the thing I was going to ask in terms of not necessarily your rapping ability, but in terms of your, know, your presentation and confidence, was that inspired by guys like Dusty Rhodes and Rick Flair?
1: Inspiration came from the rappers who pioneered rap before me. Uh, my appreciation of the business and the talent that I worked with came by being a fan.
0: Got you. Got you. So at that time as well, getting, you know, having exposure to so much wrestling, were you like a collector of the programs? Uh, Did you collect merchandise? Did you have T-shirts and stuff? I know there wasn't, I mean, nowhere near as much as even when you were in WWF in terms of the range of merchandise, but did you keep a hold of all the magazines and everything?
1: No, actually I didn't. And when I was a fan, I really didn't get them because, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, we wasn't a family made of money. We, we, I, I grew up with from really humble beginnings. So, to just to get a ticket was a real treat for me.
0: And I'm guessing as well that you know, um, you never at all saw yourself, I mean, you. Uh, there's no reason why you would have seen yourself in the professional wrestling industry, but did you... No,
1: no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
0: but you wanted to, did you want to make it specifically as a, as a musician from an early age?
1: I was on, tra- I, you know, to be honest with you, I was on track to becoming something big. I mean, I started freestyle rapping and then I started freestyle rapping in some of the most weirdest places. And I mean, I started uh, I, I started running with, um, my goodness, I put it like this. I had dinner with Frank Sinatra one night. I mean, that was the course of my entertainment career that I was on. I also wonder if I didn't get into wrestling where I might have gone, because I was becoming a real star. And I, I don't mean a local star. Now, I don't even mean a rap star. I was becoming a star out in Hollywood at that particular time. That was the course that I was on. I mean, i I, I give you an example. A day that I was going to shoot uh, my first vignette for WWE, for WWE, my first vignette with Mo and Mabel, where Al Yankovic called me to be in his video. And I couldn't do it because I was already, I had a, a commitment to go to wwe headquarters in connecticut to uh to to, to 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 shoot the vignettes that same day so i mean i couldn't go be in a weird out yankovic video but i'm just saying you know that to say that that was the kinds of you know uh, uh, um that's where my career was at i rapped at milton burrow who's one of the it was probably the first. Yeah, Milton Berle was the first person on television, and Milton Berle was a friend of mine. And I rapped at his birthday party, and at his birthday party, I was with um people like Mike Myers and and and, and um and Sharon Stone, and you know, and and that's that's the crowd I was running with. And did you do this with an agent, or was it just complete hustle? No, uh, it was it was both, but but no, it was both. But I had a manager named Norby Walters that knew everybody in Hollywood, and he exposed me. He exposed me to everybody in Hollywood, and uh and from there, a lot of it I did on my own. But um, once they knew number one what my skill was, and number two, once they knew who my manager was. I got accepted
0: real fast. So, you look, you, I'm guessing at that point, um, you will have been one of the only wrestling personalities, you know, outside of Jesse Ventura, et cetera, with an agent. Um, did that rub people the wrong way? Like, was Vince a bit like cautious about I, I know you say that because of your association with big names. That was what, you know, a, a big helping hand. But anyone with an agent, you know, agents are notoriously to a big business i guess untrustworthy. trustworthy if <laughs> you get what i mean cuz it obviously-
1: was um it was it, it it was uh more of a headache for them in the beginning because everything i did they had to go through my management before i did it i couldn't do anything at all before the lawyers uh uh prepared a document and faxed it over to them and then they had to look at the document and then they had to approve what it was and then send it back to them before I could do anything. But what wound up happening was um, once I saw that that was where my career was going to go and I had a, it was going to be, you know, it was going to be a three year deal, I kind of distanced myself from my management. And kind of went off on my own because the WWE was where I knew where I knew I was going to be. So I mean, I kind of like eased the restrictions and and, and was able to function better.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. So the, when you literally around the time that you came in, um, the WrestleMania album, which had already come out in uh, Europe and was a big hit, was ready for release in America. Um, and the, I remember there's footage on the network uh, of a launch party and everything. With your musical background, were you involved in the launching of the album in America? And uh, do you do you even remember it coming out? No.
1: Oh no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't involved in, in in the album at all.
0: So was there any talk of you doing any musical? Um, collaborate? like, did you hook up with Jim Johnston? Like, were there any uh, plans in the works for maybe an album or anything like that? Because that type of thing has happened since with, like, our truth and people like that. And, you know, you would certainly have been one of the forerunners of all of that.
1: Um, Vince, we, we had a couple of discussions about it. And the only time that I worked with Jim Johnston was for the creation of... My theme music and the creation of the re- of, of the Men on a Mission uh, song with the lyrics. That's the only time I ever really I ever really worked with Jim Johnston.
0: So, um, when you say the Men on a Mission, is that the Men on a Mission rap that was done for WrestleMania Ten?
1: Or? For the for the Men on a Mission song, no. The uh, WrestleMania uh, 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 the WrestleMania Ten rap, yeah, was. Um, that was that was supervised by um, Shane McMahon and the video, which was done at Madison Square Garden, that was produced by um, Shane McMahon.
0: So, was that the same case with the? Um, did you write the the Macho Man rap
1: that uh,
0: you you and? Yes, uh,
1: yes, I did. Yeah, I did write it.
0: And Brandy, you know, obviously would go on to release a rap album and uh, he did some rapping on the WrestleMania album as well. So d- did he have an, a, like a legit interest in rap and hip hop from like conversations that you had with him? Because based on stories that you've told and advice that he's given you and stuff, he seemed to warm to you quite a lot.
1: Any advice that Randy Savage gave me was wrestling related. And I give you I give you an example. SummerSlam 93 was a a great event, but we were not scheduled to be in SummerSlam 93. Now, I was, I mean, but I was there in Detroit, though. Um, And I was really kind of bummed out that we hadn't been included. And when Randy Savage came out the ring, you know, he came right up to me. And he was like, brother, what's the matter? And I was like, nothing. I'm just kind of, you know, bummed out that we not included. And he told me something that stuck with me my whole career. He said that the longer it takes for them to use you, the longer you're going to be around. And he should know. And I took that advice, and I was never depressed about being a part of nothing ever again.
0: <laughs> when um when you uh when Vince first brought you in because he had the relationship with usWA because Jerry Lawler was working in WWF um so they knew about the Harlem Knights and everything but were there any different plans for you other than managing men on a mission was that even a concept at the time?
1: yeah it was a it, it was it was the plan from the beginning. Right. That the Harlem Knights were, Mo and Mabel were going to be a stepping stone for me to do other things. And Vince told everybody that I was eventually going to spin off to do other things. But I stuck, I was with Men on a Mission so long. And then what wound up happening was Men on a Mission obviously spun off to be heels. And I really wasn't going to be a part of that. So that, you know, kind of ended my wrestling career. And... When my wrestling career ended. I wanted out anyway because I got burnt out, and I wanted to pursue other things anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can totally under, I can understand that. Um, so at the, at the time, um, I don't know if you remember this, but when Men on a Mission had their first few um appearances, Mabel wasn't waving and uh, dancing and stuff. He was kind of the serious you know, silent guy in the background. And that kind of changed over the first month or so. Um, was it felt that it wasn't working with Mabel, the strong, silent sort of, you know, killer, and they kind of wanted to make him a bit more happy? <laughs> I liked him,
1: personally, I liked him better like that. But, uh, but, but Vince saw a different vision to see what it would be like if he would become the jolly big party animal, and that's where it went. But for him to be that big intimidator, I mean, I, I I really, really, really enjoyed that. But, I mean, you know, nothing stays the same in the WWF. So, I mean, that that's the answer to that question.
0: That's true. So, in terms of uh, costuming, because I know that you weren't keen on the, the original Men on a Mission patchwork kind of colorful gear. And, you know, then it moved into the purple and gold. So, how in... Um, communication were you with their wardrobe department, their design department, in terms of making oh, it?
1: I don't know who would really admit to this, but the truth of the matter is I hated that patchwork stuff when the when it first happened and I directly sat down with the woman who was in wardrobe at the time and said these colors need to be more solidified, they need look more hip-hop. Yeah. And I suggested the purple and gold. Yeah, no, and, and the purple and gold did look better.
0: But the patchwork stuffs the the, the gear that ended up on all the merchandise. Um, so your trading card has the patchwork gear and, um, you know, all the stickers and the sticker albums and stuff like that. So I guess that, in a way, that left an in, indelible print in people's heads, you know. Um, one. Funny enough, um, King of the Ring '94. You wear one of the sharpest white suits I think I've ever seen. Um, what oh, was thank the, you? Oh yeah, it looked great. So, what was the thinking behind that
1: to change your wardrobe up? Because it didn't last long. You know, no, it wasn't supposed to. Vince gave me free reign, basically, on what I wore because he was like, as long as it had, as um, long as you had, like. Like, like a like a mom or or a mom um a connotation to it he didn't he didn't bother me with it so I started picking my own my own clothes and I was able to wear the white suit because I had mom in my haircut so i mean there was that right there but i mean when it came down to my wardrobe I was basically doing you know doing my own thing I knew and understood hip-hop so there I went I mean that's why I was able to you know, wear a bunch of the stuff that I wanted to wear.
0: Who who did you let cut your hair? Who did you trust to shave the designs in?
1: I, I, I had a lo- I had a local barber where I lived at, and he would cut my head all the time, and and he knew exactly what I wanted. I didn't have I didn't um and um the um the uh the stylist backstage, she knew how to cut it. But I, I, but the designs and all that. No, she didn't do she she didn't do that. No. No, yeah, you've got to put
0: full faith into someone to put that level of detail into the designs in your hair, I guess. Um
1: yeah.
0: whereas with me, I just have long hair, I just get the scissors and go, and that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> um so in and talking about back, talking about uh crazy hair dudes, yeah. uh, the four doinks at Spyber Series, which was your uh day, pay-per-view debut. Um now Matt Bourne had been released probably about a week before this event. So in terms of the plans, because no one knew who the four dunks were going to be, how far in advance did you know was Matt Bourne supposed to be there? Because everyone was chanting, we want dunk and they did not get doink.
1: <laughs> I knew about that that day when I got to the building. <laughs>
0: were you for it were you for the face paint and the green hair <laughs> oh yeah no yeah definitely i i really wish that um so how much of that was planned because i mean there were a lot of spots in that match uh slipping on the banana peel and mo uh going around the ring on a scooter and stuff like that so was how quickly was all of that thrown together i believe we all went by the seat of our pants with that one <laughs> it did seem very improv i've got to say
1: yeah it was, but it worked out and it's one of the it's is does one of the weirdest matches in history. And uh, people just people people just eat that up. So how were guys, you know, not click related?
0: So Bam Bam, um, Mike Shaw, the head shrinkers, you know, these real tough dudes, like how were they to work with when it came to doing something like that?
1: Let me tell you something. When it comes down, you know, Mabel, Mabel was 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 the both of them were 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 uh were were talented beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Mabel was way talented, but if I could say anybody who taught Mabel anything in the ring was Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow taught Mabel a lot about being a big man and being able to wrestle at, uh, at at the capacity that, you know, he made Mabel better when they were in the ring, long story short. Hmm.
0: And, and, and you know, some of the um, things that Mabel was able to do, like the spinning heel kicks coming off the, the second ropes and really agile in the ring, um, because I I never saw a Harlem Knights match. I mean, was this stuff that was introduced as Mabel, like as he started to develop his skills in the ring? Because I mean, I've never seen a crowd, um, or rarely seen a crowd pop as much as when Mabel does that uh, spinning heel kick. I mean, it's some—it's a sight
1: to behold. He told me in the beginning when we first met, he he told me about it. I didn't believe it. <laughs> but when i first saw it i mean when i first saw them wrestle together i was shocked and amazed personally at how well they had uh the double spots how well they wrestled individually but yeah when to see that 500 pound man do that kick i was amazed so, And that's the thing that is kind of forgotten about Men on a Mission,
0: sadly, is that they had some real good double-team moves as well. And that's a almost like a lost art, that there are double-team moves that are um, associated with a team so much. Um, you know, like the finishing move where Mo, Mo would jump on Mabel's back and push him down into his opponent for the splash and everything, and... Uh, yeah, no, that I mean, that it, it shows that if you're going to be a tag team, you have to probably be good friends, you have to ride on the road to be able to develop stuff as well. Um, so did mobile and, and Mabel and Mo uh, bring you in like happily because they were, you know, their own thing at the time. So was it kind of a was there an, an, <laughs> init, was there an initiation process or was it easy?
1: Uh, not, not so much of um, an initiation. Okay, so <laughs> here. Here's how, the, here's how the story goes. We want stories. Come on, yeah. <laughs> okay, Mo and Mabel were from the were from the South, mm-hmm. and like me, they grew up in humble beginnings. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: Now, I grew up in humble beginnings, but through the process, I had begun a transformation of life. And when I say a transformation of life. I had gotten used to five-star hotels and eating at Wolfgang Puck chef restaurants. And, I mean, just being spoiled was spoiled on a six-star level. And I got used to it. And the last thing I wanted in my life was to go back to uh, – was to go backwards. Okay, that, that was – you know, I got used to that life. Okay, I'm in a situation where – okay. I, I should be able to afford the six-star life i gotten used to, and that was just my thinking. Mo and Mabel was, I mean, they, like I said, they, they were humble and, and, and conservative with money and all that, and they would love to eat at truck stops. They didn't care if they stayed at Motel 6's and all the kind of stuff like that. And as you can imagine, that Became a big conflict, a big argument every day. (laughs) I ain't eating at no damn truck stop. All right, I'm gonna do it one time, but I'm not finna eat at no truck stop again. We hit at the truck stop yesterday. Y'all want to go to Motel Six? Drop me off at the Marriott and stuff like that. It was them against me, and it was like that for a real long time. I mean, we laughed and high fived and everything in the ring. But when we got in the car, it was always a conflict. It was always was always a problem. And it was them against me, and, and they didn't like me. And to be honest, I didn't really too much care for them. And that was, it had, it had, it had gotten to a point where I started riding with them. I would take an Amtrak, a Greyhound. I even spent too much riding with Lip Borga. Borger. Just oh. not to ride with them.
0: How <laughs> was Ludwig on the road?
1: <laughs> L- L- Ludwig was cool as hell. <laughs> That's has gotta say something. If I'd, rather, ri- if I'd rather ride with a guy from, oh, I forgot, where Bulgaria, or wherever the hell he was from, and r- rather than ride with your black asses, it must be a problem. <laughs>
0: The thing is, who was there then who um, you, I think people may have a false misconception of? Like Ludwig Borger, everyone just thinks miserable guy.
1: I'm guessing he was like a lot of fun on the road and people don't realize that. Nah, uh, I'm going to tell you, Ludwig Borger was fun on the road. Let me tell you, the real assholes at that time were the click because <laughs> they thought they was running things. Uh, uh, man, you wanted, to, you wanted to stay away from them or you was going to lose your job. Because of a phys- having a physical altercation, give you yeah. case in point. And this, this 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 ain't no this ain't no secret. We was in Israel. Mabel passed out. It wasn't nothing serious. He just he just, he, just, he he passed out. What wound up happening was, make a long story short, Shawn Michaels was in the shower, me and Mo was in the common area, which was off where the shower was. Some kind of way. Mo was near where Sean was exiting the shower. Sean elbowed Mo real hard, you know, like get out the way. And Moe was like the offer the word man and excuse me. And that turned into a thing, and it was finna be a fight. Mo was finna kick Shawn Michael's ass. I ain't even I ain't even I ain't even gonna sugarcoat it. Sean was not gonna win that fight. Number one, because Mo was pissed off. He wasn't nothing to play with. He wasn't no slouch when it came to the physicality of fighting, and, and 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 yeah, that was getting ready to be something.
0: So I mean, and and I know you've talked about the 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 problems with the click, but where do you think it stemmed from? Was was there a misconception of you because you had stayed in the nice hotels, etc., that you maybe had the image of you know big star sort of thing? Um, no. Nah. No,
1: no, 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 no. Like I said, that was a thing with me, Mo, and Mabel. It wasn't no. I wasn't the only one staying in big hotels and all that. I mean, you know, um, you had you had people that you, you. I mean, and nah, that was that that wasn't it. Cause you know, Vince stayed in big hotels. Vince wasn't finna be at the Red Roof Inn. But no, what I'm saying is, I mean, that that wasn't the problem. I mean, you know, people were able to adapt. To being at the Red Roof Inn or at the Sheraton or the Marriott or wherever. Now nobody went, including me, went as far as being at the Ritz Carlton. I mean that's 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 overdoing it. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, I I I I, I have, I have, uh, I, I'm 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 I, to this day, I'm a hotel snob. If I'm booked for a rap job or an interview job or or whatever you know like my current job is now which i talked to you about it when you ask about it i'm a hotel snob if you cannot book me someplace to stay especially when my wife travel with me yeah i i don't care how much you, i'm not going
0: no that, that's that's fair enough i mean that's they want you so they have to go out of their way to make you comfortable and i i can totally understand that um I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever brought this up to you before, um, but there was a story that um, a, a reason why the clique in Shawn Michaels had an issue with yourself and with Mo and Mabel, Um one of the reasons is that uh, you asked Harvey Whippleman to get you a coffee, um, and Shawn Michaels then shouted at you and says, you know, he's not a, he's not a gofer, you know, he's not a, you know, you need to understand that he's got a career and like a history in wrestling and stuff like that that was a story that was brought up have you heard that story before and is there validity to it I mean was it a misunderstanding I, I, or what? I,
1: I, I've, I've never heard that story number one that's the first time I'm hearing it thank you and I can tell you a couple of reasons why it's not true mm-hmm. number one I barely ever spoke to Harvey Whipperman about anything number two I never would ask nobody to get me nothing and number three I didn't then, nor do I now. Drink coffee at all. I don't drink it. I never drank it. So that's bullshit. That's that's a lie.
0: <laughs> well, it's unlikely the click to lie. Wink, wink. You know. <laughs> but the, I mean, yeah. Say I, that's the thing. I didn't want to offend you by bringing that up. It was just one of those. No, I'm not, I'm
1: not. I'm not offended. I'm glad. I'm glad you asked me questions because I can tell you whether it's true, false, or lie. Or I don't know. Mm. I don't drink coffee. I never drank coffee.
0: Ever. Have, have you heard Kevin Nash talk about the story when Mabel sat on his back and injured him and uh Vince, yeah. wanted, Vince wanted to fire him, yeah. but Nash stood up yeah. for him? Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, that, that happened. That did happen. <laughs> so, I mean, um, was there like a... um Because obviously Mo and Mabel had been wrestling for a few years at this point, but was there still a little... Um, naivety and maybe a little greenness, uh, even when Mabel was in the main events?
1: There was and there was, that's a good, very good question. I'm going to tell you why. There was greenness on everybody's part, and that greenness almost got us fired. Um, There was some conversations that were had with other people Um, uh, when you, when you mentioned, uh, Mabel and, and, um, and Kevin Nash and that incident, that's not the first incident that happened where Mabel got to be a little heavy handed in the ring and people had gotten, I would say minor injuries. He never seriously hurt nobody. But I will say that when things happened, it was, it was exaggerated uh, 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 because nobody ever went uh, nobody ever went to the hospital and never, never walked out the next day, but when things would happen, you know, um, the person who got injured blew it out of proportion. Therefore the boys blew it out of proportion and it it, it kept on happening. And Vince brought us into the, his office in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, one, one, one night with the intent of firing us, because you know, um, because you know, because the number one, uh, uh, the other thing to go to with that is that's a two-headed coin. The other thing to go to with that was that was an excuse from a lot of a lot of the um, a lot of the fellas because nobody expected the men on the mission gimmick to go over. All right, let's get that right. Yeah, you know they thought that it was going to come in and it was going to be, you know, mediocre at best, but the crowd was going crazy and the people was going crazy. And believe you me, you had some people that did not like that at all. So couple that with now you got a reason to get rid of these guys. And some people raised raised it to be more of a stink, but then you had a valid reason because, you know, people was getting hurt. So, I mean, you put those things together and Vince uh, 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 said that, you know, it's not necessarily the fact that people was getting hurt and all that. It just, it just was a thing that, you know, uh, that people were getting hurt and we didn't seem to care what we left behind. Right. That was the, that, that was the general feeling, but coincidentally, and, and I I say, you know, God has great timing. There was going to be a meeting that day with everybody, and the reason why I say God's time was because that really happened. We didn't have we didn't, we didn't have a lot of those. They had production meetings, but there wasn't no boys meetings where the boys all got together and, and when we was going to have it. And I said, well, Vince, you know, let me propose this. We having a meeting today, you know, let's. Let's sit in front of the boys and tell them basically that we're sorry. Number one, we're not the assholes you <laughs> that y'all think we are, yeah. and that you know, and that we'll strive to you know try to fit in more. And that was acceptable to Vince. We had the meeting, you know, we had that talk where we got up in front of everybody, which is not easy to do, especially when you got to get up and be humble. We had that talk with everybody and that pretty much you know that that pretty much smoothed things over and 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 so from then on we got to have been more integrated into the into the uh in, into the back into the backstage area than we had ever been That's but cool. had we not done that we was gonna get sent on when we wasn't coming back
0: so was that before um wrestlemania 10 when you had the title shot
1: yeah, that was before WrestleMania ten. Yep,
0: and and do you feel that the tag title shot was a result of you making amends with people? In- yeah,
1: it, it 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 definitely was because when Pat Patterson told me that we was going to get the title shot, he he um he he kind of uh, he kind of um he kind he kind of said that that helped to to get that done.
0: Yeah. So was the? It, it's a very. Because I really enjoyed the match, and I loved the spot where the Quebecers did the double suplex on Mabel and everything, and um, the uh, the chemistry between yourself and Johnny Polo was great as well. But um, was it was kind of a a complicated finish because I I think the crowd didn't know what was going on because you had the tag belts, but you you won by count out. Um, was that uh, that felt like a bit of a, a a bit of a wet fart for something. And it feels well, like it should have been like a clean finish
1: either way. It was. It was. Dis- it was disappointing for me because mm. my if I had if I had a dream, my dream and the out. And I I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Yeah, I I didn't. Um, I wasn't really I, unless I had something to do, which I had that spot with Johnny Polo.
0: Yeah,
1: I really didn't. I really did Didn't. Didn't sit into too many. Uh, uh uh planning meetings when it came down to the matches i knew what my job was i knew what i had to do like i said the lesson was something instrumental uh for me personally i pretty much left that to them so anything that happened um i give you i give you a, an example <laughs> when we won the belts in england i was just shocked with the crowd. yeah I've heard that story I was going to get to that as well Um,
0: before we do get to that uh, Wrestlemania 10, a couple of questions did you meet Little Richard and um, how come Men on a Mission didn't come out at the end of the celebration
1: if we didn't come out at the end of the celebration it's probably because we left (laughs) okay and I didn't meet Little Richard then but I met Little Richard sometime after that Uh. and that's cool. we had. Uh, we had a nice long talk uh, at the Andaz Hotel in Hollywood. Um, I, I talked a little Richard. Matter of fact, I put little Richard, little Richard, on the phone with my wife at the time. <laughs> but uh, but no, I wasn't really into unless I knew him because there was a lot of stars that came through uh, that came through the WWF back that was going to be a part of the show that I knew already from previous times, but. If I didn't know him, I, I I I mean, like I told you, I mean, over 200 stars I had encountered before I got there, so I wasn't I wasn't starstruck when 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 people came through. So and so now.
0: So that that's the question I was going to ask, because it, it, it's really weird. That 94, 95 period, there was a celebrity on every pay-per-view. Like, SummerSlam had Leslie Nielsen. um, You know, Survivor Series had Chuck Norris. Royal Rumble had Pamela Anderson. And, of course, WrestleMania had all the celebs and everything. So you kind of weren't, I guess, well, like you say, you just weren't, you weren't starstruck like some other people may have been.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have people that want to take pictures with people and all that. I I wouldn't like I said, if I knew him, I would speak to him, ask him how they how, how how's everything going? How's yeah. up? but if I didn't, like I said, I I've kept my distance because I don't know Leslie Nielsen and I might have saw him I I mean I, I saw him in the hallway talking events. Um him and um him and that Kennedy guy. Yeah. But as far as going out of my way to shake his hand and all that. Nah, I didn't. And yeah, that summer slam. That was that that was my favorite night anyway. And then besides that, I was real busy that 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 day. I mean, I had got to the venue a little late because I was getting my um I was getting my new my my new gear um uh, my new gear done. It's and awesome. you yeah. know, that, that that took time and 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 so yeah I had other things to do. I remember the gear as well. It was,
0: it was really sweet. Like so, um, before we get into the 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 tie title situation, um, did you enjoy doing things like the fan festivals? And did you because uh, you did stuff with the Special Olympics? Did you do like Make a Wish and all that kind of thing as
1: well? I don't remember ever being. I remember Special Olympics, but no, nah, I don't. I don't remember ever being a part of a Make a Wish event. I think they started doing those later. Right.
0: Okay. So the um the uh, fan festivals, though, so that must have been a, a blast to get to meet fans and stuff like that. So you you must have done two of them for Mania 10 and Mania 11.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it it, it, it was. I mean, one thing that I love, and I don't know if everybody can say this, because, you know, everybody really can't if there's a lot of people, some people say they lying their ass off between me and you. <laughs> Uh, but, no, I love the fans. Uh, I mean, I do, and I love interacting with them. I mean, I like interacting with them, you know, today. So, I mean, you know, because where people – see, there's two schools of thought. You got a lot of wrestlers now that are bitter, and they call Vince an asshole, and they this and they that, and they ah 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 but see, the only reason you got a platform, and the only reason you making money for a slice of bread right now, is because Vince put you someplace. Yeah. So before you want to talk about the man, put a, do that. And for a lot of a lot of stars, period, not just wrestlers, a lot of stars, period, that get the big head and think that they above the fans, and it's because a fan won that you're making any money because of that p- fan is that's the reason why you got that big house and people lose sight of that and i and that 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 baffles me so i'm appreciative of every fan i want autograph and every fan i want a picture every fan i want to come say hi i give you a I give you a great fan story and i didn't even know this until two years ago There was a a fan, a young boy, nine years old, who came up to me while I was on a phone, pay phone at the time. And he was standing there looking, and I stopped my phone call, and I said hi, and and I talked to him for a minute and gave him an autograph. Mm -hmm. That same fan came up to me. Two years ago, in his thirties, with his nine-year-old, and told me that story and said thank you. And that fan's name was Luke Gallows. Oh. I was boy. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: That, and, 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 you don't know who you're gonna have an effect on. You,
1: you don't know. You you you. Yeah. He said. He said one of the reasons that he came, got into wrestling, was because how he was treated by me. You just never know. You you don't know. You you just don't know. Uh, that's I, just, I just keep saying you don't know because I don't know what else to say. But he <laughs> told me that story, and he tells that story. He told me he tells that story all the time.
0: So in terms of um fan interaction, I mean, were you pleasantly surprised when Because I I guess you don't get told in advance when, say, the encyclopedia comes out or when footage of you shows up on the network. So that has kind of exposed you to a whole new generation of people. So, like, how many of those encyclopedias have you signed now?
1: (laughs) I don't know how many. I mean, countless. I mean, it's like... um, 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 Grandmaster Sexy told me When the encyclopedia came out, and and this is the no truer words, the encyclopedia gave all us old-timers a shot in the arm.
0: Yeah.
1: A shot in the arm to doing more independence, a shot in the arm to getting invited to more conventions, and a shot in the arm to a new generation knowing who we are. Well, that's what, I mean, that's the network. That's what the network has basically done more than anything. So I mean, you know, that that is, is just, you know, it's a whole different world. Um, you know, um, the technological w- w- uh, world is a whole different world to the resurrection of the careers of a whole bunch of people who would be old timers in obscurity, because now you can't be obscure no more. You're always on something someplace. And that uh, that's just honor. That that's just an honor in itself.
0: That's cool. And and do you feel that in some ways? Because I've, I've interviewed wrestlers that are angry that they don't get um, like a royalty check from the network or anything like that. But do you feel that the the shot in the arm to your career and being able to make appearances and stuff is kind of like the payment for having your footage used on the network?
1: That's a lo- that, that, you know, that's a loaded question because because I do when I don't. I mean, I I, I feel like the side of the arm, yeah, I feel like the side of the arm is great, but you know, and I well, have uh, uh,
0: nice, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean I feel, I, I, a few few years ago, I I mean, I see Triple H almost every year. I see him at this dinner in Boston. Um, um, that these that these doctors and psychiatrists give because the um, uh, the WWE is their biggest contributor. And I go and I see him, and I told him a few years ago. I said, you know, there are lawyers going around calling everybody for a class action suit about these uh, about these, these these royalties. So I'm just letting you know, you know, to watch out because I mean. The, the the hunt is on when it would come down to that. It just don't bother me personally because it just don't bother me because if I got it, I got it. If I don't, I don't. I'm not going to scavenger hunt and, and looking for it. Now, do I think do I think that everybody should get something because the the network? Yeah, of course. If they're making a profit, what I mean, the, but my whole thing is how do you do that? I mean, come on. The network got each and everybody. Ever <laughs> how you pay all these? How, how you how you even come up with the uh, algorithm to pay all these people? Only thing that I ask them for is when it come to town, you know, before the before coronavirus, when they came the close enough, you know, I, I want some good tickets to bring some people, and my wife want to go see every time. Anything other than that, I ain't even get in the way.
0: So in terms of uh, maintaining a, a profile on uh, social media and keeping in touch with your fans, uh, do you have a page for such things?
1: It's called Men on the Mission, the Legacy um, page on Facebook. reason why I think about it is so I never check it. But that's what it's called, <laughs> Men on the Mission, the Legacy, and that's the Men on the Mission page. It's on Facebook. It's out there. It's been out there for a while. So, yeah, y'all can check that out.
0: Um, so the... Um the type title change that happened at the Royal Albert Hall, I mean, had you ever... Rest- There's no venues like that, really, in America, is there, like the Royal Albert Hall. Did that immediately blow you away?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it blows me away every time I see it on a documentary or on TV or, or somewhere and be like, oh, man, I was there. Because that is one of the most... Uh, that's one of the most iconic venues in the world. I mean, because, uh, and and just, I mean, I don't sneeze at nowhere I've ever been. One of the reasons why I can't even identify where I've been no more is because all these corporations that took over, they done changed the names. So when I see something like Madison Square Garden is Madison Square Garden, I'd recognize it. But everything is the Frosty Freeze uh, (laughs) stadium and the this and the that. I'm like, you know, then if they happen to mention with the oh yeah, I I I've been there. But if there was a contest for you to ask me, what are ten arenas you've been at? I couldn't tell you, cause <laughs> you know they done they done they done messed up everything. But to answer your question, yeah, that was beyond an honor to go there, win the titles there, and be able to say, yeah, I I I, I remember that. No,
0: it's still um up in the air whether that was a planned title change, and you don't
1: know, do you? No, I, I like yeah. No, I really don't know.
0: So what happened was Mabel basically dropped his weight onto. It was Pierre, wasn't it?
1: I believe. I'm gonna tell you. I I don't know what happened. Um, well, listen. Know,
0: that's the story I heard. Mabel dropped his weight on Pierre, and Pierre legit could not kick out.
1: <laughs> all I know is. Their hands got raised, they had the belts, and I jumped into the ring, got hit with the belt. I was bleeding, but we were a chance.
0: So did, did you take the picture of um, Mabel and Moe backstage holding the
1: belts? No, I didn't. It was me, Moe, Mabel, and Bret Hart all holding the belts. Uh, see, I've seen that one, but there's also another picture of just Mabel and Moe. Um, no, nah, so, nah, it was no, nah, it was a, it was a professional photographer.
0: How early were you to, were you told that night that it, you were gonna lose them back two days later? Or
1: yeah, I was told. I, I knew about that really, really early on. And you want to talk about somebody who was just pissed and disappointed and saddened? Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. And the reason why uh, the re number one, if you want my opinion, we should have won them at Madison Square Garden. Yes, Madison Square Garden would have lost his damn mind if we'd have won them belts that night. Um, we should have had those belts and had a run with the titles for quite a long time, but we didn't. And I am really, 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 that is one of the things of my wrestling career that I'm really, 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 really not happy with. Because we should have gotten, and then that all ties into, we should have gotten a, a, a better run. The fact that they were elevated and they started getting the push after I left when they became heels was was, was nonsense. Because at that particular point, who cares if y'all getting a push now? Mabel's king of the ring. Okay, well, 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 all right. Great. What does it mean now? It would have meant more when we had our popularity, the whole thing, but that's not the way they saw it. That ain't what happened. You know, spilled milk under the bridge. What you gonna do?
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, well, when you when you were gone. The the character the you know the the gimmick of men on a mission was gone as well. Um, you've mentioned before that they were, you know, just two two big guys at that point, and they didn't really have anything to make them stand out, which was unfortunate.
1: Right. So all the push in the world, I mean, all the push in the world at that point was meaningless. I mean, so okay, so all right, so uh, I ain't getting into it. I mean, it no. was what it was.
0: No, I know. And I know you've talked about it a lot of times as well. But in, in terms of um, when like a TV taping would happen, like a four hour, really long TV taping, did you have to come out more than once a night sometimes to rap and get people on their feet? And was it almost like your responsibility to get that crowd going as well when, you know, because there'd be a lot of squash matches and stuff and, there would be no crowd reaction, but every time you came out, you—it wasn't like you could just walk to the ring. You had to rap, you had to get people a call and response and stuff like that. So, was that harder than other times when you had to do that?
1: Nah, I mean it—it it, it, it came pretty natural. I mean, it, it, I mean, when Men on a Mission came out, it was going to be a party. I don't care how long it yeah. was, the, the crowd was there. I yeah. don't care what happened, what you saw, what you didn't see. You was gonna get off your feet when I came out because I was gonna give it everything I had to do that. In in terms of did you have to develop a, a
0: signature, an Oscar signature to be on merchandise and stuff like that? Or was that like a a very quick thing to do?
1: No, it was pretty it, 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 it was it was it was pretty quick.
0: Because your signature ended up on uh, trading cards and stuff like that. So did, do you remember if someone came to you and specifically said, we need you to provide us with a signature that, that we could use on merchandise? No,
1: uh, uh-uh, no, uh, uh-uh. my signature was my signature.
0: And that is still what you use now for conventions and stuff like
1: that? Um, no, I kind of changed it. It's now... Oscar block letters, and then I kind of do something specific with the O at the um with the O.
0: That's cool. That's cool. So, um, were you surprised when the convention started coming round that there was such a a hankering for nostalgia? Was that something? Did you put wrestling completely behind you until you know the the encyclopedias started coming out and the the
1: it was it was it, I was out of wrestling and out of contact. Out of focus with it for seven years before I did my first anything.
0: And what was the uh, immediate reaction? Like, because you did you do shows? Like, did you were Were they just conventions, or did you come out and manage and get in the ring and stuff?
1: I started doing. I started doing both. Well, what up happening was what got piqued my interest was. I mean, you know, uh, the internet got more prevalent. I mean. And what wound up happening was seven years went by um, probably in 2002, maybe. For some reason, I started reading on Google how many pages there was about Men on a Mission. Yeah. And when I read how many pages there was about us, did that pique my interest to start reaching out to independence and conventions, and saying maybe I should make it maybe maybe I should make an appearance.
0: And and I'm guessing a lot of people remembered you from that time. Is that, like you talk about Luke Gallows, it will have been fans of yours at the time coming with their kids now, and were they getting up and doing the there it is and everything? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's cool. See, that's the thing. If you're going to come over to the UK for a convention, you've
1: got to rap. No, I have no problem rapping. I still rap. I mean, it takes, I don't go out and rap every week. I mean, it takes takes a really special event. Mm Because, I mean, first of all, I'm 57 years old. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 300 plus pounds. So, I mean, I cannot do what I used to do when I was in my 30s. And I was half my weight. But I'm still a pretty good rapper now. I still can get a crowd going. I still have my skills, you know, like Liam needs to say, I have a specific set of skills, skills that'll make a crowd get up and <laughs> lose their mind. So no, I'm, seriously though, no, yeah, I, I can still do it, but it's not a n it's not a normality for me, you know.
0: I I refuse to believe that you're fifty seven.
1: Yeah, I refuse to believe it too, but I am.
0: <laughs> um so when you came back to doing shows, did you do stuff with uh with Nelson and Bobby at the time. What you said again? Were, were there any men on a mission reunions with the three of you
1: when you went back to doing shows? There were not a lot of them, but yeah, there there, there was there was quite a few. And I'm guessing now, obviously, you know, because
0: I I remember being awake because the news broke really early in the morning for me, and again growing up during that time and holding it so close to my heart. Um, you know, I'm, I suppose those are like moments that you treasure now more than you would have because of uh, Nelson not being around anymore. Yeah. Um. Did do, do you do you keep in touch with uh, Bobby, or did you all go your separate ways after that?
1: No, we I, you know, we don't talk as much as we used to, but I mean, you know, I still I still keep in touch. I still got a I still got a cable to him.
0: That's cool. Um, that's that's lovely to hear. And and you know one thing that you uh, did as well because you you've done radio work and uh a part of that um you know you've done wrestling radio stuff as well uh for uh Boston wrestling the M- uh, MWF did you enjoy doing that it was very combative it looked like you were going to get up and punch your co-presenter in the face sometimes because it
1: was really argumentative Yeah I mean um no i uh, i mean no i i i'm not gonna say want to punch would in face i enjoy i enjoy pretty much every podcast i've ever done i have my own podcast for a while called not your mama's radio and i enjoy doing that immensely i mean i'm getting ready to start another one up um uh, with the people out of you mentioned mwf As a matter of fact i'm getting ready to start a new podcast a new podcast with them i mean I would go out there and be, when I was in the Boston area, I'd never miss being in the studio with, with, with them because the guy, Dan Marotti, he's a good friend of mine and he is a very good spirit and you could have not be having a bad day and you get with Dan and your spirit's lifted. So yeah, I'm going to be with him more regularly and just a lot of things happening right now. You know, um that I'm looking forward to. I'm glad to hear that because the, the
0: um, the chemistry that you have on, on camera with him as well, and it's a great setup as well. The studio looks great. And, uh, you know, you, you also talk about modern wrestling as well, of which you're very, um, you know, certainly more than me. I uh, you know, you're very more aware of because I'm kind of stuck in the nineties, I guess. Um, which is not definitely not a bad place to be stuck in. Um, so do you keep up with uh, you know, before we um uh, go into where we can find you and uh you know, if uh do you have like a pro wrestling tea store and all that kind of thing? Because you did have like a, a new shirt made, didn't you? Like a purple and gold men on a mission shirt? Yeah,
1: on a pro wrestling store a uh, 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 website, on, and I have my own. Um, uh, now nah, I can say I have we have our own store with a variety of men on the mission um t shirts, so you can find merchandise there. Um, yeah, so yeah, you can find stuff there.
0: Well, and there'll be links posted below the show. Um, so yeah, no, uh, and everyone should check out uh and subscribe to the Boston Wrestling and MWF channel as well because. If you, especially if you're going to be uh, more regularly involved with it going forward. Uh, that's, that's very exciting. Um, so like, do you, do you try to keep up with wrestling as much as possible or do you even from a few years ago not watch it as much now?
1: No, I won't. No, I, I actually watch it. I mean, I, I, I watch it. I critique it. You know, I haven't gotten to AEW, but I'm going to because I hear that's the new master class. But um no, I mean, you know, there's a few friends of mine who still, you know, in WWE that I, you know, that I, I keep up with. And um and, and yeah, so I, I I like watching it. Um you know, it's changed over the years. I mean, um, I really wish that they would go back to some of the things that made wrestling great but the direction that they've gone in is certainly (laughs) different um and but i keep up i think these kids today are really talented you know they really 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 give a give a lot um and so um you know kudos to them um but yeah i keep up
0: well I want to um, thank you for, uh, it doesn't feel long I've probably taken up far too much of your time. So I really appreciate you letting me just nerd out and ask you all sorts of, hopefully a lot of questions that maybe you haven't been asked too many times. Because, you know, I know that you've done a few of these now.
1: Let me tell you something. It's, it's okay. MWF spent about three years doing an interview with me. It took them three years to do it i mean because every time i come to town they would spend hours in 1993 alone (laughs) then i go back six months a year later they spend another three years talking about 94. and i mean so any interview that gets done in an hour and change that's a blessing
0: (laughs) oh that's good Uh, any other questions that i haven't asked i'll ask you on facebook and you can um you can answer them if you wish um, but no, I, I really want to thank you for doing this and uh, and I want to thank everyone for listening to Turn Truckle on BBG Wrestling and we'll see you all next time
1: alright thank you man